Welcome to The Struggle. We're back with episode three. Uh, it's crazy that we're doing this. I can't tell you how excited I am that this is actually happening and we're past episode two. So I don't know woo-hoo. about you, Clint. It feels like a real podcast now. Like we film multiple episodes and, and this thing's going out and I even know a couple of people have listened to it. Yeah, that's right. And we even have one review on iTunes, uh, which is awesome. It was a five-star review. I think it was from your best friend. So I don't know if that counts. That it was. Yeah. Yeah. But he wasn't prompted. So I guess he really liked it. Well, there you go. We have had some feedback. We appreciate the feedback. So please reach out to us. Let us know what you think, um, how we're doing. And please submit your questions. If you have something that you want us to talk about, that's why we're here. Anyway, how are you doing, Ty? Did you have a good weekend? Man, I had one of those weekends that you just don't see it coming and it just blindsides you. I had one of those days on Friday where I needed to get my truck registered. And so I went and got tried to do all the things that do that. And you know how sometimes things that aren't connected, they all just seem to go wrong in the same day? Oh, yeah. I don't know what it is about it, but it happened, man. And and one thing after another, I ended up spending $300 on my truck this weekend. And yeah, totally unexpected. And to top it off, my, my daughter ended up with flu B, which I didn't even know there were different strands of the flu, but she got like the stomach bug version of flu B. So we had a heck of a weekend, man. You sound different. What, what's going on there? I have gotten better. Um, I Not only am I feeling better allergy-wise, I got a new microphone. So my audio may sound professional now. I thought, we're doing a podcast, so we might as well get like legit equipment. That's right. We're, we're trying to make this actually happen. Before we started, I told you I couldn't remember what I did this weekend, and then you said something about your truck, and I immediately remembered. I probably just completely pushed it out of my brain. And that's why I couldn't remember it first. But we spent the entire uh, Saturday morning working on Brandon, my oldest son. He's 17. Uh, He has a a truck that we bought that was just kind of a starter deal, first vehicle. And it hasn't been running for six months. And we finally thought we'd narrowed it down to the final problem. And after we fixed that and tore apart some other things, had a, a guy that was helping me work on it who'd been a mechanic for 40 years and told me the engine was shot. So, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we put it on Craigslist and on Facebook and sold it that night. So uh, it's it's not in front of my house anymore. Well, hey, that's a win. It was a win. Not the win we wanted, but it was still a win. Before we get into our show, we saw this interesting thing that happened uh, a week ago or so. There was this music festival called Coachella. Uh, a lot of you may have heard of it. And one of the interesting things we noted was that Justin Bieber was leading a worship service on Sunday morning during the music festival for this large crowd of people. I just thought that was awesome. Um, And, you know, a story of someone who, he was kind of well known that this was a Christian kid who grew up and then got really famous. And a lot of people say he just went off the deep end and started doing really awful things. And what a story of redemption. You know, who who knows? A lot of people really question if Justin Bieber is, is authentic about his beliefs. But when you listen to him now, man, it it's hard not to think he has actually had a life change. Yeah, and you kind of had this idea as we started the podcast of if there are things trending in, in the world of pop culture that we could talk about those and hit those at the beginning of the pod. And I, I thought, what a great way as we're starting this. Um, this topic falls right in line with kind of what we're doing. And I saw that headline and I thought, Bieber leading worship at Coachella. Okay, sure. And 
so I kind of wanted to look at it and see what was what that was about. And it was so cool. I couldn't find the link of him doing the worship, but I found a video of him talking about his relationship with faith. And it was really neat to see um, how it's really been a journey for him. And and I think that's kind of what we all go through is when we look at popular figures, we want them to be um, have it all figured out. And if they mess up, it's like, well, they didn't have it figured out. Um, I think it's cool how he talks about, man, I grew up in church and then I kind of got away from church and it took me going through some stuff to figure out what God is and, and what it means to follow God. And uh, so I thought that was awesome. Do I, do I think he's got his theology figured out? I don't, but I think he's on a path and uh, man, I thought it was great. And really that's what we want for all of the students to go through ministry, go through youth ministries is for their faith to be their own to be something that they grow in, but it not be their parents' faith. So if you're listening, it's okay to struggle. Struggle through the issues. Struggle through the things that are happening in your life, but don't give up. Keep struggling through it uh, and, and, and follow that journey that God has you on. Uh, but yeah, it was just a cool cool little story. I actually listened to Judah Smith, his the guy who kind of he claims is his pastor. Um, I listened to him do his sermon podcasts, which are awesome, by the way. Shout out Judah Smith. If you want to give us a listen, that'd be cool. Um, that would be very cool. Well, yeah. We, so we, let's jump into our question for this week. Um, it's kind of a big question, so let's give it some the time that it deserves. I'm going to read this question, and then I've got something I want to share with y'all as we jump in. So the question this week is, how do we know that the Bible is telling the truth or what it is saying is even real or not? And I read that question as we were kind of sorting out our beginning questions, and I thought, what a great question to answer early in the podcast, because how we view the Bible and what we think about it is really going to shape the way that we think about the Christian faith and the way that we think about what it says for our lives. And so if we can't trust it, then it's hard for us to think about a lot of these other topics. So this is a huge question, guys. I mean, this is this might not be the most common um, objection I hear to Christian faith, but it's right up there. This whole idea of how, how can you even trust this book that was written so long ago? And how, how, how can you even uh, believe that what it says is reliable or relevant? Absolutely. So jumping in here, let's start with what is the Bible? Um, it's, it's this book, but how do we define it? Um, how do we really get into it? I wanted to share with you something I ran across just this week that GQ, the the magazine, posted this article, and I think it was an opinion article, but it was 21 books that are overrated and you don't have to read. And one of the books on there was the Bible. And this is just a snippet of what that article said. But it said, the Bible is repetitive, self-contradictory, sensuous, foolish, and even at times ill-intentioned. And so he goes on to say, it's not worth your time reading. We're, we're confused about the Bible as a culture, and a lot of people really kind of hate on the Bible. And so, but I think a lot of that stems from a misunderstanding of what the Bible is. We don't understand how to read it, how to look at it. So let's talk about that. What is the Bible? The first thing I would say is it's not a history book, and it's not a science book. Man, you're taking my thing. Go for it. <laughs> a lot of people look at the, the Bible, right, and, and they say, this is exactly how things happen, and we read it for exactly how history, it tells history, and we say it has to be accurate or it, it, it's not true, or how it defines science. If something in science comes to say, well, that it doesn't agree with the Bible, 
then man, that must discredit the Bible. We're misunderstanding what the book was written for. It was written as a book about God. The Bible is a book to teach us about who God is, his relationship with humanity, and how he's pursuing humanity. At the end of the day, that's what the Bible is. It's a book about God and his people. And you can wrap Israel into that. You can wrap the church into that. But it's not a book for exact science and exact history. And I think that's the most important point to say up front. Yeah, you're going to make some people a little uncomfortable right there. But that is exactly what I tell our youth. It is not meant to be read like a science book. It's not meant to be read like a math book. It's not meant to be read like your English texts. It is a spiritual book. It is a book of life change. It is a book that tells us what God did, does, and wants to do. It's, in some ways, it's a love story. But in, in a lot of ways, it's, it is a spiritual book meant to shape your life. That is completely different than a textbook or a history book. Uh, and I love to ask students when they're talking about this, would you ever read a history book and evaluate it based on math principles? You wouldn't because it, yeah. it wouldn't make any sense. You're trying to read it in a totally wrong framework. On well, side note, I wouldn't read anything with math principles because <laughs> math is of Satan. <laughs> math is math is bad. No, uh, uh, yeah, it's, I haven't had a math class since I was a junior in high school, so I would agree with you on that <laughs> right. one. Well, let's let's look into that a little bit further. What is the Bible? We said what it's not. It's not a history book and not a science book. It's a book about God. Clint said it's kind of this love letter from God. Let's talk about the makeup. The Bible is made up of 66 different books. That's one thing to note. It's not one book, but it's 66 individual books or writings that were put together. And, and we generally agree that, that these were written by over 40 different authors. So there's a lot of hands at work in the writing of the Bible. There's a lot of books in the Bible. And those books have different genres. And what big genre word? It has different styles. I, I like to think of that with music. There's hip-hop. There's R&B. You know, there's country. There's pop. There's lots of different music. So um, hold on. Hold on. Wait, wait. So if, if there was... If you're going to talk about genres... Okay, what's the hip-hop part of the Bible? Ooh, good question. Song of Solomon's got to be up there with hip-hop. You know, I would throw Psalms in there too, right? It's, it's rhythmic. It's, it's poetry. Yeah, my first thought was, was Psalms because poetry and rhythmic, uh, you could almost read a psalm as a rap. It, that would be, if there are any artists out there listening, hey, there you go. Take some psalms and put out a rap album with it. That'd be cool. Yeah, send us one. That would be neat. But yeah, so we, there's a lot of authors and a lot of different books. And so sometimes we get we think about the Bible as we read it the same way. But really, we need to look at the Bible different ways depending on the different books. And we can't get into that fully today. But that's important to note too is, is there's a lot of different styles which has to shape how we read it. Absolutely. Uh, you, you can't read... You cannot read Genesis the same way you read Psalms and the same way that you read the New Testament. Absolutely. So that's the makeup of the Bible. What, what, what is it? What's it doing? What's it talking about? I like to talk about the Bible with my students this way. It is one unified story of God pursuing his people and his creation. And so the whole biblical narrative can be wrapped up into this. We, we see the story of God creating people, them falling and rebelling against him, and then pursuing him or him pursuing them throughout the entire story. And that's what the Bible is really about when you take a step back. 
when you start to look at some, maybe a few details here and there disagree, and you start to try to dissect the Bible based on, ooh, I think this contradicts with this, you're missing the big point that it's this big story written by a lot of different authors. But what's fascinating about that is 40 different authors wrote the same story without talking to one another. That there's this unified story weaved throughout with so many different voices. And not even that they didn't talk to each other. They didn't live in the same time periods as one another. You know, having completely different time periods and completely different contexts. And yet it's one story. Well, Clint, I thought that's a little bit about what the Bible is. But let's dive into, I think a lot of students, when they ask this question, they're asking, can I trust the story about Jesus? Can I trust that Jesus is real? Let's talk about that, um, because that helps us trust the whole Bible, I think. Daryl Bach, who is a Bible scholar, he had this funny quip that I, that I came across that he said, there is more accurate evidence for Jesus than there is for Julius Caesar. And he goes on to explain that, and I thought that's an interesting little quip that he had that when we think about the way that we look at ancient writings and the way that we see are these trustworthy We have more reliable evidence that Jesus existed than we do that Julius Caesar existed, but we all kind of just assume Julius Caesar existed, you know? So if we're going to talk about the Gospels, when were they written? What, you know, what evidence do we have that they're, that they're true? And what, what kind of stories do we have that surround those? When, when scholars look at the Gospels, there's a huge range of when they could be written, kind of what were the dates? Um, and, and scholars will disagree on that, but generally we assume they were written 40 to 60 years after the death of Jesus. And we talked on, I guess, our first podcast that, that Jesus was working with some young dudes. He was kind of that first youth pastor. And so when Jesus dies, what happens is the church explodes and these guys become the leaders of the church and they start sharing the story of Jesus. And they're just doing it by word of mouth. It's a culture that doesn't write a lot of things down, and so they're they're talking about it. But as they age, all of a sudden, all these eyewitnesses of Jesus kind of start to, they're starting to die off or they're getting older, and the church realizes we got to write this story down. So the story is written within one lifetime of Jesus. And we can kind of say most of the Gospels, we can accurately look at them and say most of these were written within one lifetime after Jesus, which is incredibly fast when you look at most ancient biographies, ancient stories of people. Those are usually written several lifetimes later, um, but the Gospels were written really within that same time that Jesus died, which, which we can say gives a lot of credibility to the people writing it. Can you imagine living in a time when there wasn't a 24-hour news cycle? Right. You know, when, when, when the news of something happened, happening might have been 40 years after it happened. And that's considered quick. I know. That was considered <laughs> fast. And now it's if we don't hear about it 10 minutes after it happened, we were we were out of the loop. Right. Well, and let me just say this. We talk about the Gospels being credible, and we believe they really are. But there's a lot of external sources that talk about Jesus. And one thing they all agree on, I found this fascinating, they all agree that Jesus was some kind of miracle worker. We know from like Josephus, who was a Roman historian, we have letters from Roman governors talking about Jesus. And the one thing they all mention is they either think he was some kind of magician or some kind of sorcerer, and and Josephus calls him a miracle worker. One thing I glean from that is, A, we can't dispute that Jesus was a real person. He absolutely lived. We have recorded history of that. And they all record that Jesus was doing strange things. Jesus was doing things that we couldn't explain by natural abilities. 
And I think that's interesting that even non-Christians of the at the time are saying, hey, there's this Jesus guy, and we don't know how he's doing this, but he's doing extraordinary things, which I think just gives a lot of evidence and credibility to who Jesus is. Whenever you think about all that Jesus was doing and the fact that this was written within a lifetime of his death, then it becomes a lot harder to doubt some of the things that were claimed in the Gospels. Because if he hadn't done these things, it would have been easy or easier to disprove them because it was written so, so, so soon after he died. And, and the fact that these, these stories of what Jesus was doing stood up the test of time, like were held up and were not disproven, were not questioned, were not, that just shows us the credibility is there. Whether you really believe that he is the son of God is a different question, but the credibility of him being an actual person and him actually doing some of these things that could not be explained. You know, there are people that do believe Jesus was a real person and that he did miraculous things, but they still don't believe he was the son of God. Um, they just, be- but, but even those that aren't Christians that don't practice Christian faith, but study this time period, still believe Jesus, or still would say that it's fact that Jesus existed. For sure. Let me, let's talk about this, Glenn. I find this one of the most compelling defenses against the Bible or or reasons to believe in its credibility, if you will, is the absurdity of the story. If you read the gospels at the time when they're written, Women had no status, right? Women were considered property. Their testimony couldn't even be trusted in court. You had to, it took, I think, like three women to equate one man's testimony. So they weren't trusted. All the Gospels, all four of them, but one of the things they all agree on is that it was the women who found the empty tomb and who first preached the good news of Jesus' resurrection to the disciples. They shared that news with the disciples. If you're creating a story... The last thing that you want to do is put that story in the mouth of somebody that that isn't trustworthy according to the time period. And so I think it's crazy that women are the first ones that share the story of Jesus. Um, And that gives that a lot of credibility because if it was a lie, they would not have used women to tell the story. You mean you, you wouldn't pick the most absurd person to defend you in the court of law right now? You know, someone that that was known to uh, have no credibility you, that that's not who you would want <laughs> to represent you, right? Have you ever watched the news? And anytime that, that some crazy thing happens, and they're doing interviews on the street, they find the most crazy person in the entire city to do that interview. Well, that's because it's all about ratings. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's not the person I would want on my def- as my defense attorney. Exactly. <laughs> right. And if you're making up a story, if you're completely making it up, you wouldn't put details in the story that would get you in trouble and make it seem like you were making it up. (laughs) You would try your best to put details that would actually boost the authority of your story and elevate that credibility. Clint, what happened to all of the disciples of Jesus? They ran away. They did. They ran away. They don't look good in the Gospels. They make themselves look bad in this story. Not only that, they all die for their faith. History teaches us that all of the disciples were killed because of this belief. If this is a lie, who would die for a lie that they made up? Then it wasn't just the disciples that died for their faith, but but many, many, many people uh, during persecution died time and time again for faith. And I think that's a huge, 
huge part of can we trust this word? Why would people die for a lie? Right. So we're going to move pretty quick. Um, and we have been, and that, so that's a snapshot of why we believe just historically, you can trust the story of the Bible and trust the story of Jesus. And so if those are your questions, I would encourage you to dig into that more, really research. Um, there's a book by Lee Strobel called the case for Christ, where he does the same thing. He questions this. And so he really dives into the history of it and really comes to this conclusion. Jesus lived, he worked incredible miracles, and we have to believe that as historical fact. The only decision is, do you believe he was the Son of God? And so that's the historical evidence, but let's talk more about the life application evidence. of As a student, how can you trust the Bible? Why should you in your life trust the Bible? We talked at the very beginning that it is, I like to say it's a spiritual life-transforming book, and if we really read it with the intent and the... Um, patience and the the determination to apply it to who we are it changes things about us and i don't mean like some magical way where you read it and all of a sudden something about you changes but there are things there are stories within the text that are so rich with truth there are stories that talk about how god interacts with all of humanity that connects with how god interacts with me and it deepens my relationship with him. And if I lean into that, if I sit with those stories and I trust in those stories, over time, I can look back and see how, depending on that word, the, the Bible, uh, my life is different. There are also very, very practical things. I mean, if you talk about the expectations of faith, um, I always go to the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self selflessness. No, and self-control. Yeah. Selflessness is a good one too. That's right. If you use those as a litmus test, I've found that for me, it's in reading scripture and really applying that scripture that I'm able to live out those fruits of the spirit. Like I, I can't be kind and gentle and self-control all the time on my own. That's not something that I can do, but when I take different parts of the Bible and I and I don't just read it, but I memorize it and I and I put it into my memory, then when situations come up that test my kindness, I have scripture that that registers with me, that reminds me this is how you're supposed to be. And over time as you memorize that word and you are assured of it, then you can see change in your life. Uh, and when you see change in your life, to me, that's the best affirmation of if we can trust God's word. Another thing is God's promises. It is so important for us to read scripture, to know God's promises, but then to actually make notes of these things and remind ourselves constantly of what God promises us. And then when God answers those promises, when God answers our prayers, to make a note of it, to remind ourselves, to tell other people about it. I think often what happens is we read our Bible maybe semi-regularly for a little while. And we read a few things and we're like, oh yeah, that'd be really cool. That's really great. And we don't read it for a while. And we don't think about it. We don't put it down anywhere. We don't remind ourselves. And then a few months later, God brings us to that very test or that very point where he wants us to see the truth of that scripture actually happen. But because we are so busy and because we are so distracted and we have not been dwelling on what he uh, told us two months ago, we completely miss it. 
And I think that is the power of the word for me is when I heard something that I read about scripture two, three months ago, and then I'm confronted with it. And often in the moment when the test happens, I fail miserably. (laughs) And then it's later that night when I'm sitting down reflecting on my day that God just gently reminds me, hey, do you remember two months ago when I asked you to be more like this or when I challenged you to do this? Here was your opportunity. And so then I'm reminded, okay, now I, I need to make that a priority so that when that happens again, I can actually step out in faith. It's in that moment when our life intersects the truth of scripture that we see the power happen. When we actually step out in faith, that's when we see that it's a double-edged sword, that it's true and that it's, that it's alive and that it actually does something powerfully in us. Man, that's great. We can talk about the historical accuracies all day long, and I think they give real credibility. The only way you're ever going to trust the Bible is when you see it changing things in your own life. And, and all Clint and I can do is talk about from our own experience. But I know that I was a teenager who didn't really attend a lot of church and who didn't really know much about Jesus. And I was kind of a punk. And I look back on the path that I was headed. It's scary to think about the person I would be today if I didn't have faith. But I look at a, a large part of that is reading the Bible, ingesting it, getting that word into me and listening to it. Slowly over time, it did. It changed me. I don't know any other book that I've ever read that I would say actually changed the person I was other than scripture. All we can do is give personal testimony to, to we, we've read this book. We trust that it is God's word. We trust that it is divinely inspired and, and God has given this to us as a gift to lead us. But how can you trust it? Why? I would say give it a chance and then see what it does in your life. Yeah, it's just like any relationship that you get into with a friendship or with a, 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 a romantic relationship of any kind, a marriage. The only way to know if you can trust that other person or that thing is to try. Try it. And so our challenge for you as we kind of wrap this up, I mean, this is, it is so hard to talk about this subject in such a small amount of time. You can tell we're youth pastors because we're trying to prove the Bible. And so we just can't help but really convince you in, in an hour how to do that. You know, in like 20 minutes. Anyway, right. <laughs> so our challenge for you, if you're listening and you, you also wonder, can I really trust this for 30 days, 30 days, commit to read scripture for 30 days. Find a 30-day reading plan of some kind. If you need help finding it, send us a message. Uh, we will. We would love to help you, but find some way that you can hold yourself accountable and actually do it for 30 days. You can do anything you want for 30 days. It's not hard, but it does take commitment. And so that's our challenge is for you to do this for 30 days and then look back and see Did it really make a difference? Yeah, I think that's great. As we close out for today, do you have any closing words? Man, I don't. You mentioned Infinity Wars before we started. And I just want to say for all of you going to watch Infinity Wars, I hope you love it. Um, Enjoy it. Don't give us any spoilers because I'll be honest, I'm behind on the entire franchise. I've got to get caught up before I see Infinity Wars. So don't spoil it, but go love it. Yeah, parent, parent, the, you know, hashtag parent life. It's hard. 
Uh, you, you don't get to go see movies when you've got a little baby. I think I see two movies a year. That's right. Uh, we, we've just gotten out of that phase, but it's only because I have a 17-year-old who can watch my three-year-old that we can go out and watch movies. <laughs> I might get to go see it at 11 p.m. on Thursday night, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that that's going to work out, but I might not get to either, so we'll see. But for me, Thursday night, we've got church softball league playoffs. We are awful, by the way. We've won exactly zero games. But you made the playoffs? Well, everybody makes the playoffs. Oh, it's Church League. I got you. And then also the NFL Draft. I am a super big fantasy football nerd. hey Oh, we both are. Absolutely. For the last three years, I have gone with friends to watch the NFL Draft. That's right. I sit down and actually watch every team go up for the first round and select their player. And I couldn't be more excited about it. Okay, quickly, tell me where Saquon Barkley is going. I don't see how he doesn't end up as a Cleveland Brown unless they trade uh, trade down or something. I, I think it's either pick one or pick four. Yeah, gosh, I think he may end up there at pick four because I thought he'd be one for sure. And man, it just seems like the fit's not right, the fit's not right. So It all comes down to if the Giants really trust Eli Manning still, and if they do then they take Saquon Barkley at two and say, we'll find a quarterback later. It is going to be awesome. And I'm so bummed I don't get to see it or watch it, but I will be following along on my phone. It's going to be very, very fun. Anyway, I think that wraps it up. Just make sure that you guys find us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are at the struggle YM. Please send us your questions, your feedback. Uh, and if you get a chance, leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen. We appreciate you. I guess that wraps it up. We'll see you next week. Peace out. Peace out.